knobs are in the right place. Well, as I said, the passage we can look at this morning is, is well-worn and not usually preached this time of the year, although there are times when it is. But um, we hope we're going to look at it in a fresh way this morning, and um, especially as we do something very special next week. We actually make some changes, uh, do it in a different way, doing our Sunday morning in a different way. And I believe God has a message for us this morning from this passage, specifically about <clears throat> next week and what we do. But before we do that, I want to pray for the children that have gone out the back. Because I believe it's all about that this morning. Father, we thank you for life. Thank you for every life that you give is precious, even though it may not be conceived in that way or with that thought. But we thank you, Father, for every child in this building this morning. Father, also the child heart. <laughs> Father, it's something that you love. And we come to you afresh, Lord, and say, give us, Lord, a child heart this morning to simply receive Jesus and to simply have a love for him, to simply look at him and admire him, to simply say, Lord Jesus, you're so wonderful. You're so lovely. You're the best thing that's ever happened to this world. Lord Jesus, we pray, not only for our children today, children represented here by families, Lord, and we, we pray, Father, for the future days of our church. We pray and we ask, Lord, that you just raise up young life to serve you in this place, we ask. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you, Lord. Just to remind you of our purpose statement on the front of the bulletin, Living Life Jesus' Way by His Spirit on His Mission. For his glory, we can read that over our passage this morning. Certainly, we can do that. Living life Jesus' way, his coming in humility, the way he approached the people by his spirit, the spirit of reality. Because on our DVD this morning, we see the different spirit, the spirit of religion, and you see the spirit of reality. We see reality. I can't say spirit of reality. It's reality, isn't it? Love, life, peace, communion with God, that's reality. But we live in a world that says that's not reality, that's quirky and that's weird. But to know God and to love him is the best thing that man can do. That's normal and that's by his spirit. On his mission, that is the purpose, isn't it? To do things Jesus' way so that he might be glorified and that people's lives might be blessed. Jesus' arrival at Jerusalem um, was just a few days away before he was to be tried, condemned, crucified, and with all the characteristic symbolism, which is sort of embedded in this story, which I don't want to go into this morning, but there is symbolism embedded in the story of past events in the history of the Jewish people, and um, th there was a conflict of interest between the people's expectation and the execution of God's determined plan because we see God's determined plan here by the very fact that Matthew says all this happened, all this took place to fulfil. All this happened to fulfil what was spoken through the prophet, and this is it, say to the daughter of Zion, see your king, comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal 
of a donkey. And some would say that's not the way for a king who has authority and power to approach any place where he's king. There should be authorities that put him in that place, that recognise that in a public way. There should be dignitaries who are there at the cemetery. There were dignitaries there at the celebration. There were people that welcomed him, and precisely that's what happened. They did welcome him, but not the authorities, not the people who were recognised amongst the people to welcome this man. But for the fulfilment of Scripture to be at work in something that Jesus did, that the people were included in, is probably the most powerful statement of this, this account we've had this morning. The fulfilment of Scripture. If we're not here today because of what the Bible says, or because God is doing something here, or because God is fulfilling his plan and his purpose, there's no point in us being here. All this happened. We're doing all this in fulfilment of what God has said. There's no purpose in being here. And so there is purpose in this, as Matthew said. What Jesus did, arriving at Jerusalem, riding on a donkey, was all part of God's plan. They thought, because they were under oppression by the Romans and life was very difficult and society seemed to be breaking apart for them, there seemed to be no, no concept of, 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 the, of, of the, what the Messiah would bring actually happening. And we get that in our scene, don't we, in our scene today. Sometimes, you know, when we come to elections, we, the things that we really want just don't seem to be happening. They don't seem to be bringing in the things which we want. But God does have a higher purpose. Sometimes this happens in church life. And things are not happening the way we think they're happening. And maybe like the disciples, like these, not the disciples, these, uh, these chief priests and these teachers of the law, they came to the point of being indignant about the way things were done and what was happening. And I believe God would speak against this morning the spirit, the indignant spirit that crops up in our lives from time to time because Jesus does that precisely. And so this morning, he comes to Jerusalem. He comes to the place that should be celebrating God's goodness. It should be the place of worship, not only for Jerusalem, but which spread out into the whole world. It should also be the place of God's power at work. It should be the place where, through the, the, temp, the presence of the temple and what God wanted, that, as we saw this morning, the nations of the earth should be blessed. And on both videos I'm talking about, <laughs> the New Frontiers one, go into all the world and preach the gospel, make disciples of all men, baptising them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. We saw that happening on the first video. That is the purpose of God. But when Jesus came to Jerusalem, things were out of order. The temple lacked true worship. The priests... There was no praise. The fig tree, there was no fruit. In the leadership, there was no integrity. In the witnesses, there was no heart response because Jesus said to them, he says, you've seen what John the Baptist did and how he affected the people and still you don't do anything about it. No heart response. And in the last parable, there's no acceptance of Jesus but rebellion and rejection. 
And we do live in that sort of world today where we have the evidence of who Jesus is, what he's done. We celebrate his goodness, celebrate his joy, his love, his compassion. And still, there's rebellion and rejection of Jesus. So many things, things were out of order. But in his church too, as Revelation would say, the letters to the churches, things are out of order sometimes. And so Jesus not only spoke then, but he speaks today to the church. And the continuing phrase of, or the closing phrase of those letters to the churches was, if any man has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. And I think we need to open up our ears and to regularly hear what God would say about us. This morning we could look at some things. Amongst the priests, and I just want to focus on this, the activity of the children and the response it drew from the teacher of the law. And what we might call the religious hierarchy. Priests, no praise. We know the lovely account of when the children came to Jesus for him to bless them, that the disciples at one point were indignant. Jesus took them up in his arms and he blessed them. What a simple but most profound way of God's heart relating to people. And he demonstrated it to children. I mean, I've seen in this building in the past reaction of older people to children and it's almost destroyed them, some of them. The indignant spirit when things don't go our way is something that we need to deal with. When Jesus took the children up in his arms and I want to, this is a word over our church for today and tomorrow and for every day. Let the children come to me and do not hinder them. Two points to that statement. Let them come to me and don't hinder them. What does that really mean? What are we really saying? It says, let them be included in my purposes. Let them come to my power Make everything that I am and have and make it accessible to them. Let them and do not hinder them. What does it mean not to hinder them? Don't stand in their way. Don't interrupt what I want to do for them. Be careful that you don't spoil the spirit within them. As a church, we sense the urgency to make the person and power of Jesus and the kingdom of God accessible to all ages, even from the womb. Each life conceived is immensely influenced during the nine months or so carried by its mother. John the Baptist slept in his mother Elizabeth's womb when Mary, also pregnant, came into the house where Elizabeth was. Something very wonderful and mysterious about that. But I think we need to think outside the box and say, God, by the power of his Holy Spirit, can go beyond and do things more than we ask or think sometimes. That is the purpose of the kingdom of God. 
I would say that from research that has been made, as I read on the internet, about the influence on a fetus during pregnancy is very significant. We know about the physical effects like smoking, alcohol, drugs, etc. But there's also research gone into music, how the forming child is able to respond to music due to its ability to hear in the womb. What about stress, violence, arguing, sadness, discontentment? The child being carried by a mother who worships God in her spirit, I think is a good place to start. And I think it may have a tremendous effect on a child as it's born. When I was sitting in a restaurant on Friday, you couldn't hear you speak for one child screaming and shouting probably the whole way through our meal. One other old couple said, shut up, will you? And she said, sorry. <laughs> but I thought, how could I help that mother? She had her mother there, and these four children around the table. And I thought to myself, but the child seemed to have an agitated spirit, almost uncontrollable. And I, I'm not criticising, I, I, I'm just saying, is the chance to help someone like that. What makes a person, a child, restless? Let's give them love, encouragement, help, and the wonders of Jesus. That's, you know, as we move towards next week and what we believe God wants to do, this is sort of opening the door. There was a little section of the temple in Jerusalem. It's called the Court of the Gentiles. We saw it on screen this morning, and it's where the money changers were. And... um, this was actually, and Jesus said it, and so this, what you're doing is actually made it a den, it's like a den of robbers. You're actually robbing poor people. You're taking rather than giving. In a sense, there was no way of making God accessible in that place because that's what it should have been. The court of the Gentiles, and what the Jewish people did, and the way they worshipped God, it was saying it's our way of reaching out to people who are not of us, but to draw them in or to all the blessings and the grace that God can offer. But it was shut up. It was shut up, in a sense. That's why he overturned the tables. What he's really saying is, look, you're not making it possible for other people to access the love, the grace, the mercy, and all that God can give. You're actually hindering it. You're preventing the true God coming to others. And I think if we look at the churches, and God and the message of Jesus made to the churches, it was all about that. It was failing to make what God has to offer the world accessible to people. And so Jesus, you know, he overturns the tables. Let's move on a bit. So the teachers of the law, the scribes and the Pharisees, they saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple area. And they said, do you hear what these children are saying? 
I would assume that some people here have been watching Britain's Got Talent. How? I dip into it now and again. It's a bit of a laugh. It's, you know, but how the child is staged. How the child is pushed and it's getting younger and younger. The talent of a child seems to be coming forward at a younger age, even every time you have this program. And they're almost excelling in what they do. Excelling in what they do. But the public are celebrating and pushing on our children in the cause of entertainment. But what about in the church? Are we making Jesus accessible to the children? We can preach to them. We can speak to them. But more than that, our love, our understanding, our encouragement, our blessing those lives will probably do more than anything. It's just being real people to the children. So I think it's a point we need to make as others come. Let's be real mums and dads. Let's be real friends. And I'm not saying that that's not what we're doing, but I'm just speaking this word over us because I believe we go this way because we just want well, the way we love Jesus and how wonderful he is to be accessible to others. We just want to see lives blessed and see happy and know the joy of God in their lives and know that God is at work and he has a purpose to fulfill. So we've become, to used, to, we've become used to children becoming staged for their talents and they seem to be coming forward younger and younger. The field is usually entertainment and the public love it. Only keep exposing them more and more. There seems to be little hindrance and a lot of assistance to help them get motivated in the mindset of stardom that may be okay and there is great potential for those who succeed. There is greater potential for those children that succeed in God. I may be one of those indignant adults when I see Britain's Got Talent. And say, never used to be like that in my day. You know, we wouldn't think of doing that. You know, putting children up for stardom. We probably wouldn't have done. Things have changed. But I'm more concerned about how we open the door for our children and young people. The indignant spirit that hinders God's work is prolific in the church and is not characteristic of Jesus. So let us learn how to deal with our reactions. If we find an indignant spirit rising when things happen around us, you know, as others come in, we need to check that in our spirit. King David prayed for himself and he said, Create within me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. There is a place for being indignant. But sometimes that indignant goes to reaction that offends and puts a distance between us and someone else. Now Jesus, with all who he was, for all his glory, for all his purity, and with all his holiness, wasn't about offending people despite their sin. 
I really, I've mentioned this before, and I really love the picture of when the prostitute came to him and he let her ply the tricks of his trade on him in order that he may demonstrate her person, that he loved her. She didn't succeed in that, we know that, and that wouldn't have been right anyway. But he let her come that close so that he might demonstrate his acceptance and love for her as a person. Uh, my mum had two daughters before, well, one before me and one after me. One was stillborn and the other only just lived for a short while. And the outcome of that was that she, had, she adopted two boys from Dr. Bernardo. One name's Brian. You see him come here uh, from time to time. The other one's Alan. We believe he's in Australia. He's, as far as we know, he's not a Christian. Um, but um, when Alan first he came into our house, um, after a few weeks, he gave me a black eye. And he thumped me. I, 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 I didn't know this. I can't even remember it. And his words were at the time, that's lambed in one in the mug. And my mum went to get the cane. She went to give him a good thrashing. And she heard the voice stop. She said, that's not the way to react. She said, show him you love him. And that's what she did. But in her spirit, she wanted to pour that vehemence out on him for what she'd done to me. Jesus was of that. That's the spirit of Jesus, isn't it? You know, when we don't react in the way that we first are pushed to do. And I could go on. I know lots of stories even in here. You know, how people do not react to the situation that first comes to them. They react in a godly way. So this indignant spirit, it will be in the church, but we need to deal with it. That's one thing. So I just want to look for a few moments, very quickly, at three examples of empowering the young. The first one is Isaac. Isaac, learning to trust God. Abraham took God on trust, not trial. I mentioned that several weeks ago in one of the preachings here. He trusted God. He didn't try God. He trusted him because God said to him, and he obeyed. And so he took God on trust, not trial. Now, it was that influence that was given to the life of Isaac. You know, I think much of my life runs on trial, not trust. I want to be better. I, I really want to reach out and do that. I, I just want to see if I can be more prophetic. or I, I, I'd, want, I'd love to heal that person and say, so you try it and it doesn't work and you stop. But it's not because of God's word. And there's, when we take God's promises, sometimes we approach them on the trial basis rather than the trust basis. And that's so easy to do. But with God, God says to us, the way Jesus shows us how it's done, we can take God on trust. And I believe as Isaac saw his father 
and he was influenced by him. Isaac asked his father about the sacrifice. Abraham's answer was, God will provide himself a sacrifice. We know the story how that God said to Abraham, take your son, your only son, Isaac, and offer him for a burnt offering on the mountain I will show you. So Abraham set out to do that. It's against all the principles of life. It's against all godly principles. And yet Abraham prepared to do it because God said it. Strange, mysterious. We don't understand that. And when, Ab- when Isaac asked his father, as Abraham puts his arm round his son Isaac and told him to put his arms by his side and began tying him, Isaac asked, what are you doing, Dad? I'm doing what God asked me to do. Abraham did not sneak up behind the lad and cut his throat or thrust a knife in his back to kill him, to save him from the indignity of laying on the altar and watching his father drop the knife. He didn't save him from that. No. God said, offer him for a burnt offering. And that's what Abraham, precisely what Abraham did. He didn't alter it in any way. God said, take your son and offer him for a burnt offering. So that means he tied him. He laid the wood on the altar. He lifted up his son and placed him on the altar. And all the time, Isaac consciously was watching what his father was doing. What a situation. But every time asked us, what are you doing, Dad? Why are you doing it this way? Because God said so. So if Isaac was brought up in a family like that, he'd learn that my father trusts God. Do our children, do we want children that come in this place to be brought up in families that learn to trust God? I think we do. So I look back on our life and I think, how much have I exposed my family to that I'm a father who trusts God? Do, we rem- do you remember your parents as those who trusted God? So it's exposing our children, empowering the young, learning to trust God. So in our delivery as a church, we're going to tell people that we trust God. But is that real? Is it just trial or is it real? Those examples, we know. And so Isaac, he learned to trust God. If children witness obedience to God when it really matters, they will certainly be influenced to obey their parents too. If a child sees its parents obeying God, they will find it an awful lot easier to obey their parents. An awful lot easier. The father saw his boy with a pencil once. He said, where'd you get that from, son? He said, I got it from school. So the father turned around to him with a pen. He says, here, this one. I got it from work. Just a simple example. But you know, it's the influence of the parent on the child. If children witness obedience to God, when it really matters, they will certainly be influenced to obey their parents. The second one is the maid... Naaman's maid, she was confident in God's power to heal. When Naaman found that he had leprosy, 
she said to Naaman's wife, if he goes to the prophet in Israel, he would heal him of his sickness. And I think that's a very simple but lovely story. And it's giving our children confidence in God that he will heal today. Are we still taking God on trial or trust? (laughs) Or is it trial? So as we as a church, we as individuals, are we learning to trust God? Are we learning his power to heal? But it was this little maid on her own, without the spirit of complaint or hate, making God accessible to Naaman. She said, if he was with the prophet in Israel, he would heal him of his leprosy. Jesus said, let the children come to me and do not hinder them. Yeah, we want them to be saved. We want to be born again of God's Holy Spirit, and there is much more. Teaching them more ways of the kingdom. The last one is Samuel birthing the prophetic in a child. How his mother had this miraculous child, and she said, if God gives me a child, I will give him to the Lord. And so she took him to the temple and gave him to the Lord. And there he grew up. And we read about Samuel that he ministered before the Lord. He served God. And he was taught to serve God. But you know, Eli taught him at least three important lessons. Never mind your age, God is speaking. Never mind your age, God is speaking. He is about to trust you with important truth for someone. Are we teaching our children that? Will we teach our children that? Will we teach them that God wants to speak to you? That God speaks today? The second thing that he taught Samuel was give God the opportunity to speak to you and say, when he speaks, speak, Lord. Give the child an opportunity to respond to what God is saying. To respond to God by saying, I'm listening. I'm listening. The word of God was rare. That's the story. That's the core of the story. The word of God was rare in those days. And here was a child being taught to hear what God was saying and to speak truth into a situation. That was the environment he grew up in. Are our children going to grow up in the environment? The children that come in here learn the environment of God speaking, empowering the young. Eli saw the truth And he knew it was right when Samuel finally got the word from God and he gave it to him. And we will, as we hear God speak to us, even, we will say, yeah, that's God speaking. That's what God is saying. That really cuts me here. I know it's true what God is saying. I can now do something about it. Birthing the prophetic in the young people. Jesus said, let the children come to me Do not hinder them. And I think this is just a process for us to make the power and the love and the goodness of God accessible to others. That's God's purpose. Because, you know, those were indignant when they saw the children praising Jesus. Let it be known what they thought 
but we do not want to hinder them, do we? When they sing songs, my God is a great big God. That's God. That's what they want, what God wants. And that's what we shall do. That's the way we shall go. But God will birth something in us that's more than just having a family service, more than that's just making a change and making a difference. But it might be making accessible, Jesus accessible for the kids so that they will love him and serve him. If you look on the Brazilian webpage, you'll notice there's a little girl of six who's just laying her hands on people and they're being healed. There's other children preaching and people are being saved. There's other children speaking prophetic words that's blessing the life of people and speaking right into their situation. I think we need to go beyond where we are and let the children come to Jesus and do not hinder them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Jesus, you're so accessible, more accessible than we think or understand. Lord, speak to us, challenge us, give us the right spirit. Father, we pray. Would you bless this town of Herne Bay? May you make it ring with hosannas. May it ring with hosannas. May the cloaks be laid, saying we welcome you, Lord Jesus, as King of all kings. May the palm branches celebrate the victory and the joy and the goodness that we have in you. Father, we pray, change this town for Jesus, and for his glory we pray. Amen. It's time that if you'd really like someone to pray with you, we'd love to do it. If you have any doubts about what's going to happen, we'll pray for you too. We'd really like to help.